It is good to see everyone, including those who are joining online this morning. This past week, we traversed through a very sacred ground in Scripture, where John continues to address the reality and the truth and the implications of the new birth, what it means to be born again. John's ongoing emphasis on the life of God in the life of people and what that looks like. I read just a couple highlights from last week, chapter 3 of 1 John, verse 6. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Verse 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Verse 10, therefore, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of devil of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. The New Testament knows nothing of one who would claim the name of Christ without the corresponding reality of the life of God evident and manifest in their life. Last week, this was in relation to righteousness, to pursuing and practicing righteousness. Remember in the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 31, God says in this new covenant, I will, put, I will write my law on their hearts. Obeying God will now be something that comes most naturally, the desire to obey God because of the life of God in us. And now he, he focuses on a most practical and a beautiful application of the life of God in us. And that is our love for one another. It is beautiful. It is precious. As we'll see in a few weeks, John explicitly says, God is love. And so, those of us who are in Christ, those of us who know the Lord, we expect to see that love growing within us and being expressed to one another. Now, it is true in the New Testament that the New Testament encourages us, commands us to love our neighbor. That's Jesus. Love our neighbor. But also in the New Testament, there are a number of passages that kind of narrow that focus and say, love one another. Which is what I think John's focus is here. That is, within the family of God, within the house of God, we should love one another fervently. Very practically. We should express the love of God that is within our hearts, that has been shed abroad in our hearts, and we should have a determination to love one another. With that having been said, our text this morning begins in 1 John chapter 3, 
verse 11. If you're not already there, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to uh, turn or scroll to 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So as I've mentioned before, if it feels as if you're hearing the same thing over and over again, but in a different way, as you read through this letter, well, you are absolutely accurate in that assessment. John has a way, it's kind of like he's screwing the door shut, right? The further he goes, he goes deeper and he's telling you the same thing in different ways. Love God, love righteousness, and love people. He will tell us in different ways that those are the hallmarks of believers in Christ. And that as believers in Christ, just as we are to grow in the knowledge and in the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we are to grow and pay attention to these matters. John loves to draw his little contrasts as he kind of goes back and forth and just massages these truths in. He loves to develop a contrast so you can see exactly what he is getting at. The life of God in the life of people. That is the beauty, the miracle, and the substance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We who were dead in our sins are now alive with Christ. Yes, we are going to heaven. Yes, we have escaped the wrath to come because Christ stood in my stead. But the totality of the gospel is not That you punch a ticket and you go to heaven when you die. The beauty and the fullness of the gospel, as the Old Testament tells us, when Christ would come, God himself would live in us. When we believe the truth of the gospel, the spirit takes up residence in our lives. The life of God and the life of people produces real fruit. Remember, Jesus said, Matthew 7, you will know them by their fruit. If you say you believe in Jesus, if you believe in Christ, eventually that will show. It will become evident. 
And as I've said before, we temper that with the reality, this process we call sanctification, right? Growing in Christ, maturing in Christ, uh, growing in the knowledge and in the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It looks different in each of us. We acknowledge that. We acknowledge that there are seasons where we drift and are distracted and when we sin. But John's overall point is that the life of God is going to show up in the life of his people. It is worth reviewing a supporting text from last week, and that's Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 says this, for the great, verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Right, That's the work of grace in our lives. To live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. It's a little countercultural to what we see all around us today. Waiting for the blessed hope. So now there is this hope that we cherish in our hearts. Waiting for the return of Christ. Because He is the one that we love. He is our life. Paul told the Colossians. He is not the most important or the top three. He is our life. And so we are waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. To save us from that. And to purify for himself, this is key, a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That is grace. That is why Christ came. That is what he has accomplished. A people who are zealous to do godly, godly, good works. Now, beyond practicing and pursuing righteousness, as I've said, there's another evidence of the life of God in us. And that's love. John is going to be very specific in his application and apply this to the brothers and the sisters within the household of God. John draws a very compelling contrast. He's speaking about love. So he says, do you remember Cain and Abel? So he says, that's kind of the opposite of what I'm talking about here. I want to make it really clear for you. So you go back in your Bibles to the fourth chapter in your copy of God's word. And there is the account of Cain and Abel bringing sacrifices to God. Abel obeyed God. Cain did not. Cain did not like the fact that God honored Abel's sacrifice. When they had a moment alone, Cain took him out. John says, that's not what we're after here. By the way, it's very difficult to see these references in the New Testament to the Old Testament if you don't believe the truthfulness of the Old Testament beginning In the book of Genesis. 
So John says, do do, do you remember that? Do you remember the jealousy that welled up in Cain's heart? Do you remember how there was this, this enmity between the two and ultimately Cain acted on that? The first recorded murder in the Bible. He says, yeah, you, you want to stay away from that. But notice he gets to the heart issue just as Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount. Obviously, he is saying don't kill people. But he's going a little deeper. He's, he gets it. What was behind that? You see, that is what we want to get rid of in our relationships. The, this jealousy that can fester. When you look at the New Testament epistles over and over and over and over again, different authors led by the Spirit speak to these matters. Don't hold grudges. Forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. That's the practical outworking of the gospel in our lives because naturally left to ourselves, well, we're going to hold on to a grudge and we're going to make the other guy pay. Which is exactly what Cain did. And John is saying, no, no, we're not doing that. And so as you read, particularly like in Ephesians and Colossians, it is just saturated with be patient and long-suffering with one another. Be gentle and clothe yourselves with compassion. Outdo one another, Paul told the Romans, in brotherly love. That should be what our emphasis is. John says that the people of God are known for their love one for another. So hold your place there in 1 John 3 and just quickly look at verse 14 before we travel back in the New Testament. We know that we have passed from death unto life, into life because we love the brothers. Evidence of having passed from death unto life Is that we love the brothers. Turn to your left to John chapter 5. I don't have a slide, so I'll just read it if you don't have your Bible on you. Listen to this beautiful verse from the lips of Jesus. John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words... And believes, in, believes him who sent me has eternal life. Present tense. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. That is a beautiful gospel statement. John, further on in age. Remember, John is the last one standing, most likely most of his uh, apostle colleagues have been martyred for their faith. John is now in, in exile in Patmos. He's elderly, likely in his 90s. And he is thinking to himself, what, what do believers need to hear? Notice how he expands, going back to 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. He expands on what he recorded Jesus said. Jesus said, if you believe, if you believe in him who sent me, You will not face judgment. You will pass from death into life. John says, 
Well, we know we have passed from death to life because we love the brothers. We see the life of God manifest in us. There is great weight to what John is saying. He tethers these two things together. He says, we have passed from death to life. So we love people. We love our brothers and sisters in the house of God. Let that sink in for a moment. In light of the mercy that has been shown you. In light of the grace of God manifest to you through the life and the obedience and the death, burial, resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Love people. There's the connect. It is an inexhaustible well. You cannot love people too well. You cannot be too patient or long-suffering with people. Because what motivates your love for people, what motivates your love specifically for the brothers and the sister and sisters in Christ is the fact that you will never stand in judgment for your sins. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is breathtaking. That is glorious. He says, he connects the two. You are forgiven. You are adopted freely into God's family. Christ suffered on your behalf. Love one another. This past week, I visited our brother Colin's grave. I plan on Ordering his headstone very soon. It was a nice day. You might recall this on Thursday. Kind of warm and ground was dry enough. As you know, I love him very much. He became a very good friend to me and to everyone. I don't know of many people who are as kind Considerate as our brother Collins was. A brother who was gentle and thoughtful, a pleasure to be around. He blessed us immensely. I endeavor to show his testimony, to have him share his own story, because the nice, gentle, Collins that we came to know and love was not the Collins that was always Collins, right? He would speak often about how he was often very angry and he would snap with people and he wanted to forward his whatever, his recognition and name and so forth. But God humbled him and continued his his gracious work in us, what we call sanctification. And so by the time he came to us, In 2017, he had been tempered by the trials of life and the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. And he truly was a blessing to anyone who knew him. But I want to show another angle. Collins came to us 
2017, he had cancer. And he had exhausted the opportunities um, to receive treatment in other countries, including his homeland. And so he was granted a medical visa to come here to the United States and receive treatment. He placed a, a cold phone call and said, hey, I'm now in the area. I want to be in a church that preaches the Bible. And I'm wondering if someone might be able to give me a ride to come here. Well, he came and he never left. But I want to take a moment and just express in a, in a healthy way how proud I am and always was of our church when it relates to Collins. He came to us a brother in need. Didn't know anybody. He was not able legally to work. He was here on a medical visa. So he had to rely on others for his physical needs. Um, he had to rely on others even for the food that he would eat day in and day out. And I saw this church rally around him in big and small ways for the years that he was with us. It was beautiful. It was beautiful to see. It was beautiful to see the brothers in particular, uh, you know, fellowship with him, support him. Every, so many people in our church when he was staying with the Thorn Keziahs, the people who would just, it was like a rotating door, just come in and out and minister to him, pray with him, and so on and so forth. What made a deep impression on me was when I got to meet some from the local Nigerian community, they were just like, whoa. This is amazing. Now, I know I look a little Nigerian, but I had to correct that, you know, that um, mistaken notion from time to time. Um, but their point was, he's one of us, right? It's Nigerian. We manifestly, most of us are not. But it made a point. And here's, here's the thing. You see, in the world... There are ethnicities, there are cultures, obviously. But what the New Testament speaks to is this beautiful new people, a nation that is being birthed. We call it the church. It's the gospel. Revelation will tell us that there will be people from all tongues and tribes and nations gathered together worshiping. So when I become a Christian... The only identity that I hold to is Christ. That's it. I celebrate my ethnicity. I celebrate my culture. I celebrate whatever different ways that, that I identify with. Obviously, I'm not saying we don't. I should, I should say it's not the only thing that we celebrate. But the point is, when I'm in Christ, that's what matters. And there should be a love that is red hot. One that is in practical ways seen for other people to see. So that we understand, yes, we celebrate all the different parts that make us who we are. Of course we do. Oh, but Christ is our prize. And when I am in Christ, remember the scripture says, Paul told the Corinthians, that when we believe, we were baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. Baptized means to immerse. 
we were immersed into this new group of people. And the one thing we have in common is that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. This is what Jesus spoke to. John chapter 13, verse 35. By, all, by this will all people know that you are my disciples. If you have love one for another. You can't argue with love. I mean, you can argue social issues and doctrine and beliefs, specific beliefs and so on and so forth. But you really can't argue love. And so while the world out there can and will speak to heartache or hatred or racism or things of that nature, let that never be known in the church of God. This is the place where everyone belongs. This is the place where we love and support one another. This is the place where we love and support one another beyond what is convenient for ourselves. Love. One of our values, as you know, things you hear me speak to often is to love well. When we talk about Christian love, this is not a fluffy feeling. It's action. It's, it's action built upon conviction. What are ways that we can love one another? I don't mean to state the obvious, but I'm just going to list off a few. Pray for one another. That's actually right out of the New Testament. Pray for one another. You don't have to be with someone to pray for them. I love in Colossians 4 where it talked about the brother who wrestled in prayer for the Colossians. Rolled up his sleeves and wrestled in prayer for them. Support one another. In order to support one another, we need to know what the other person's needs are. Encourage one another. Encourage one another. Now you might see a trend here. Every single one of these is right out of your New Testament. Refuse to gossip. It is so easy to talk about people when they are not around. It is easy to spread half-truths or lies about other people when they're not there to defend themselves. Oh, the New Testament has so much to talk about that. Don't gossip. Don't slander. Ask what needs people have. Like I said, I can't meet your needs if I don't know what your needs are. And in order to know what your needs are, I need to have some kind of a relationship with you. So many of these things are done so beautifully within our church. Bring a meal to people. I'm just saying, food, I mean, that's a great thing for someone to bring. Get together with people. Roll up your sleeves 
and get into the messiness of other people's lives. I see it time and time again within our church and other places. It's beautiful to me. Where people put, as they say, feet to their faith, right? They, they, they act on this and they want to do whatever they can to help. Send a card to someone. Mow their yard if you can. Be generous. People have financial needs and maybe they don't want to voice. Perhaps you can do something about that. Greet people you don't know. When we practice this, it becomes such a beautiful testimony to those on the outside. When people come with preconceived notions about what a Christian is, you know, narrow-minded and judgmental and all those things, and they come in, and I'm not just talking about Durham Bible Church, I'm talking about any fellowship of believers, and they come in, and I hear this over and over again, and they, and they say, well, that's not what I expected them to be. They were kind to me. They were friendly. They showed an interest in my life. Paul put it this way. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. He says, what matters is faith working itself out in love. When we work out our faith, when we flesh it out in the context of love, it is a beautiful and a powerful thing. I show you here some very exciting news. This is our sickle cell clinic in Nigeria. Um, The construction process is nearing an end. You've heard me speak of this clinic, and we have a side view as well. These are um, the door on on the right is the doctor's office. Um, The other door is the is the main entrance. Um, But you've heard me speak of this of of the clinic, which Katie has graciously called our clinic. But first of all, may I say, this entire work is established to meet the physical needs of those who are suffering with sickle cell. And praise the Lord, as time goes on, we're able to not only manage symptoms, but actually bring medicine and such that brings a cure as well, that that dramatically reduces the effects of this disease. But let me tell you what captured me when I had the privilege of visiting a couple of years ago. Now, obviously not this building. The ministry has exploded so much that they had to build a new building just to house the people that are, I think it's like 400 people now that are associated and coming through receiving treatment. And they meet regularly for praise and worship and testimony meetings as well. It's beautiful. But here's what I had a first row seat to. When we were there a few years ago, um, a meeting of the various key volunteers and leaders and feeling the love that was in the room. And each of them were gathered in in someone's uh, living room and, and one by one, they all spoke about why they're involved in this. I'll never forget one brother who just stood up and said, look, I feel convicted because I've known about this, but I've ignored it because I had other things to do. 
But he said, I'm here and I'm all in. This is a work of God and I want to be a part of it. But here's the thing. Obviously, this is West Africa. One of the reasons why I love, I love to interact with our international ministry partners is because I have the opportunity to go to other parts of the world, people who obviously look different than me, who have different customs and cultures and language and so on and so forth, but they worship the same God. And these hallmarks that John speaks about are on display so beautifully. I can't understand a word some of these people are saying. I don't speak their language. But I can feel the love. You just feel it. There's something remarkable, whether it's just a coffee house locally or whether you're around the world, when you meet someone for the first time and you visibly have literally nothing in common with them, but they're a believer. And there's a bond. It's instantaneous. Because what they prize, you prize. Their testimony of being saved by grace is the same as yours. Yes, some of the expressions of the worship and so forth will look a little bit different, but that's, that's just surface level. There's an immediate bond with people because the love of God has been shed abroad in your heart and in their heart, and God is the same everywhere, and now you are connected. It is beautiful. Worshiping in a house of God where you're the only one speaking English. It's amazing. Amazing. You don't understand much of what is being said or sung, but you can see God so visible and so present within them. So I just bring up a few specific examples. Consider our missionaries, our international ministry partners. This is the Hadulins. They're in Romania. Just received a, a, a message uh, from Sanda fuel in Romania. I know the whole world is being affected with inflation and so forth. Fuel is now three or four times as expensive. They're struggling just to heat the church building when they gather. And so we said we wanted to follow up with them on that. But look, we're a part of this family that's all over the world. We have the privilege of partnering with people like the Hadulans. You want to see the face of faithfulness? It's this couple right here. By the way, this picture is dated. They're older now. They have suffered much in their faithfulness to the gospel. They have suffered much in trials and tribulations along the way. We're so privileged to serve with people like that. So let's uh, kind of bring all this into focus in closing. So the birth the new birth gives us a natural disposition to love people, to love the people of God. We are told at the same time to earnestly love the brotherhood. So how do we do this? Not the what, but the how. What does this look like? How do we approach loving one another? Here's the answer. With your whole heart, with your whole soul, and with all of your strength. We love God, obviously, with our mind, our strength, and our, and our soul. We should employ the same intentionality, the same fervor, with loving one another. 
without holding back. On Thursday, as I mentioned, I went to the cemetery. I was struck by this headstone. Obviously, I don't know this person, so I blocked out his name. But I was struck with what the epitaph said. He said, beloved husband, dad, and grandpa. I love that verse at the bottom from Paul. I have fought the good fight. I finished my course. May I make specific application to each and every one of us? Paul, when he said those words, you might know that he was preparing to give his life as a martyr for Christ. I'd like for us to make a specific application within our faith and our, the general sense of following Christ. That we have growing satisfaction that when my time comes to see the Lord face to face, that each of us can say with confidence, I've run the race well and I've finished my course. Specifically, of loving people. That I have endeavored my life amidst other aspects of my faith that I have endeavored, that I have been intentional, that I have been faithful, that I have not been a soft Christian when it comes to loving my brothers and sisters in Christ. Apply that verse to loving well. This past week I received uh, a request technically a challenge to work this passage into the sermon. So here's my application. When it comes to loving people well, apply it to the race that is before us. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run But only one receives the prize. Run that you may obtain it. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and I keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. A beautiful picture in the world of athletics to be intentional, to train, and to run with purpose. My question to you is, are you running the race of loving those around you well? Are you running with purpose? Are you giving thought to it? Are you being creative to it? Are you being faithful to it? It is easy and it's natural to kind of lose ourselves in our own concerns and worries and problems and so on and so forth. But I want to encourage you to take this love of God that he has put in your heart. Romans says, shed abroad in our heart and be faithful and intentional to express that to the people around you in various ways and to ask God for his help in knowing how to better do that. May the Lord continue to grow a desire and a disposition of loving one another. 
What a beautiful testimony to those on the outside for them to see brothers and sisters laying their life down for one another, outdoing themselves in brotherly love. Would you join me for a word of prayer? I think for some, this, this passage might be a reset button, an opportunity to consider our disposition towards others, our inclination towards others, whether specific people or people in general. The good news is you'll hear more about it because, as I said, John just basically circles around and says the same thing. So perhaps this is starting the process of you giving serious consideration to how you engage people around you. May we grow in our love for one another. May it be evident, not only within the fellowship, but also outside that we would be known as those people. May we each experience those beautiful God moments where we feel tangibly the love of God as expressed through people around us in big and in small ways. I encourage you to give thought to this. In no way browbeating anyone. But let the Lord speak to you on this. What and how he might want to work in and through you. Before I pray, there's always a moment we reserve to speak clearly to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't become a Christian or a Christ follower by being physically in a church building or even associating with those who are Christians. We've talked about the new birth. Jesus said, you must be born again. There's a crisis point where we come to the end of ourselves, where we realize that we have a problem that we cannot rectify. It's called sin. And we abandon our efforts to somehow expunge our record or get more good works than bad and maybe make it in on that day. It's actually a great relief to hear the gospel, which is to turn to Christ to put your faith and confidence alone in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believing and having confidence in who he is and what he has done. Let's pray together. Most gracious Father, thank you. Thank you for the love that you have expressed to us. Not in a weak or fluffy sense or just merely sentimental. Thank you for that core gospel truth that God loved us and sent his son. Thank you for that core truth that God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. 
Lord, our prayer collectively is if there is one who has not put their faith and trust in Christ, that today would be the day of their salvation. Calling out to you for mercy and believing that the Lord Jesus died in their stead and placing their faith in him alone. Oh Lord, without question, these have been difficult times. Many burdens and contentious. Well up within us, an undying love one for another. Long-suffering, patience, kindness, a faithfulness to pray for one another, to see a need and meet it, to spur one another on in love and in good works, to refuse to let us become lukewarm one another, but to spur one another on to love and to serve you wholeheartedly. To not forget the hope that we cherish in our hearts. To not forget that this life is indeed just passing. It's but a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. That we would encourage one another to remember that the trials and the tribulations that we face now and today in this life cannot even be compared to the weight of glory that is to come. To speak truth to one another, to remind one another that we reign in life through Christ by virtue of our union with him. We are not paupers. Not a one of us will be slipped in the back door on that day. We have become heirs of God and every single one of us, bar none, are co-heirs with Christ. Help us to encourage one another with these truths. To revive one another in our walk with you. Oh Lord, increase within our midst our love for one another expressed in the most practical and beautiful ways. Spurred not by legalism or guilt, but by the refreshing love of Christ shown to us without measure unconditionally. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.